Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here today with Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. We're here, uh, we're recording late on a Monday night. This is kind of a reaction pod. It's a pretty busy day for the Hawks considering it's late June in the offseason, but uh, I think the main point here is to take a look a little bit at the Kent Bazemore-Evan Turner trade, but we also had a Cam Reddish opening press conference early this morning. That seems like a year ago, and it was this morning. <laughs> and uh, just a few moments ago, the NBA Awards show wrapped up. Do you have any uh, any hot take griefs, grievances from the NBA Awards show, Glenn? Well, I don't because <laughs> well, I, I, I'm you usually ask how are you doing, and I was kind of prepared to answer that question, and you went a different direction. I'm doing great primarily because I made two good decisions. Like one is I did not venture into the Trey versus Luca Twitter debate. <laughs> um, so, sometimes and, Trey versus Luca Twitter comes to you. It does, but uh, <laughs> you, you can choose to engage or not, and uh, I chose to uh, focus on other things tonight. And I did not watch the award show. Um, so for those two reasons, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm not uh, – I am generally kind of wish the award show never became a thing. I understand they're trying to monetize everything these days in the NBA. Um, but it's just too long and too drawn out, and I just want kind of to see the you know outcomes and those sorts of things. So I was looking for – the ballots to come across Twitter, you know, during commercials or what have you. But, um, but I'll watch the speeches. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to go back and watch the Otis speech and the Bud speech and, um, you know, one or two others. But uh, Twitter in this way will be helpful in that it will direct me toward the speeches. I need to go back and watch what I missed because I didn't watch the show. But did you enjoy the show? Anything specifically you enjoyed about the show? Didn't know about the show? Uh, I was mostly just tracking it on Twitter while I graded math exams. So, uh I saw some of the video clips as they were happening, but uh, I was also trying to be productive because two months after the season, I don't think I can devote however many hours it was to the NBA awards show, <laughs> especially yeah. when there weren't really too many awards that we didn't know the results of ahead of time. It felt pretty predictable. It did, and we're supposed to be getting a break this week. So I was taking a break, uh, no matter what the NBA did. Um, of course, uh, for Hawks uh, followers, um, Mr. Slink teed up a, a trade to happen very, uh, a little conspicuously right after, immediately after the Cam Reddish availability and introduction today. Um, some would say that was so that the base trade didn't kind of overshadow Cam's introduction to uh, the Hawks sphere. Others might say it was so that they didn't have to answer questions about the trade. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you're right. That, um, that Cam Reddish availability felt like at least three days ago at this point. Yeah. Uh, that's NBA executive of the year vote getter, Travis Link. He got a second place vote and a third place vote. I don't know where that put him in the rankings. <laughs> but I think did. I saw 10th. 10th. Uh, okay. 10th. Yep. Yeah, right. that there's right. thirty. There's thirty of them. So you know, top third, uh, this early into his tenure is um, uh, encouraging. I'll just leave it at that. I mean, he's doing a good job, though. It seems about I think right. So. Yeah, I mean, the fan base is getting excited about the team. The fan base is kind of um, you know supporting the young core and and with where they are in in what they're trying to do. 
that's a really good place to be right now, in my opinion. So um, I, I'm um, impressed and encouraged by his work this far. Yeah. Uh, so what did you think about this particular trade? Is it just kind of a win-win-win, or what do you think? So what are the details of the trade? The details of the trade, it's a very simple trade. It's just Devin Turner for Kent Bazemore. Done. Trade. Yeah, and they do those these days now where they don't have, like, you know, second-round pick protected 4347 and, you know, <laughs> and all these uh, variations of trade protectors. But it, it was, uh, you know, a straight-up trade. Um, for me, I think the Blazers are trying to get better on the margins. That's where they are with a team with kind of the top-end talent that they believe in, the culture that they believe in. Um, but having, you know, defensive liabilities in their starting backcourt where Bayes' defensive versatility, especially defending ones and twos, um, is going to be something I think that takes some uh, workload off of uh, Dame and CJ. So the, for me, I know it's funny, if you paid attention on Twitter today, both Blazers fans and Hawks fans seem kind of half satisfied, half disappointed, like equally, <laughs> um, you know. But, uh, you know, Evan Turner kind of, kind of became a fan favorite from what I see uh, in Portland. And Bays is the one player that stuck with the team and the organization from the 60-win season all the way through the rebuild that Schlenk did and bought into kind of every step along the way, was committed to helping the young guys, was vocal about, you know, having be passionate about that role. So it's, it's totally, um, a, um, you know, unsurprising that Hawks fans are like, oh, you know, I don't love this. Um, and Hawks fans also, you know, don't seem to love what Evan Turner offers the team. We'll, we'll see what ultimately comes to that. But what I make of this trade is that the Hawks now have, um, you know, two rookie small forwards. They have a second-year player, Herder, playing the guard position. They have a guy in Bembry that they need to really figure out what they have in him this season for sure. And, you know, other young players that, that they could potentially be bringing in to evaluate those positions. And, and I think that the right thing for the Hawks was to not put Bays in front of any of those players playing time, but also to recognize that Bays will be trying to earn a contract this season and to put him to, into a position where he can go about doing that. And, and on top of that, if the Hawks, you know, I put this on Twitter earlier today, but if the Hawks had no intent of paying him after the season, they effectively would have, by keeping him, would have completely eliminated his bird rights. Um, which allows a team to pay a player despite not having cap space, you know, if they own his bird rights. So by trading him to Portland, a team that's functioning well over the cap and projects to do so for a number of seasons, you know, Bays could be in a really good spot to potentially earn, you know, a next, a, good, a solid next contract by being put to a situation with a winning team. But the culture, I think that Bays will fit in perfectly and offer some kind of positional versatility that enhances what they have going on at the top of the the roster in Portland. So I think mostly it was the Hawks wanting to do right by Bays for what he had given this team from the Bud 60 season all the way through the rebuild, getting into a situation where he can you know, compete um, for a playoff you know, on a playoff team, you would presume after the season and still have those bird rights to use to kind of um, form a market um, for himself at the end of the season. People want to say the Hawks should have demanded something back. Well, you know, if the major objectives were met, by both teams in this trade that I, I'm not one to kind of argue about it, but people want to kind of grade it kind of in a um, mathematical kind of transaction, if you will. Sure, they could have gotten a little bit more, but I'm not concerned about that whatsoever. Yeah, there's a lot to process here, and you made a good point about the bird rights. Uh, I guess first the emotional part. 
it's it's a little bit strange to see all of the 60 win hawks gone <laughs> right i mean it's he was the one that kind of bridged all those eras he uh you know the the, the players are all gone now the coaches are gone uh the executives are gone even jeff peterson who is kind of a one of those other people who kind of bridged a bunch of eras here in atlanta he's gone uh so it's it really is uh, sort of an end of an era for, for Kent Bazemore. And, you know, as I've tried to make a point of on Twitter, you know, Baze is just a blessing to the media. <laughs> he was, he was also always very good to us. And so, uh, you know, he deserves some kudos for always taking care of us, always being the person who would answer questions, uh, especially when it wasn't a great time to answer questions. There are a lot of guys who will, give you good answers after a win and be courteous after a win. Baze was one of those guys you could go to, you know, during a losing streak after practice or, you know, after a rough loss, end of the season, didn't matter. He was, he was always a pro's pro and that was unbelievably appreciated. And I'm sure he set a good example this past year for the, the players around him. I know, you know, Vince was sort of held out as the veteran leader and was the veteran leader, but, it certainly didn't hurt to have another example in the locker room. I'm sure Kent Bazemore was that. His season was weird last year. And I think, you know, kind of just injury or, you know, nagging injury played a part. Like, in December, I think you could make a case that the December of the past year, that might have been the best month of his career. I mean, he had some games where he was setting career highs and doing – all sorts of stuff, and he was averaging like four assists a game. He he was putting together a pretty nice season at the end of calendar year 2018, and then he got hurt, and then that kind of lingered, I think, all the way through the end of the season. Never really got his groove back. If it, it's hard to evaluate the trade without you know, you know, you don't really know what player you sent to Portland. Did you know if you sent them the player that? was on the court in December, and if he's healthy, you know, by golly, you know, he might be that player or pretty close to that player, then then Portland's giving, uh, Portland will be getting quite a player there, but it also makes sense that, you know, he didn't really fit Atlanta. You know, his, his contract doesn't fit the timeline, his age doesn't fit the timeline, and as you mentioned, the bird rights will be valuable to somebody, but not to Atlanta. Um, so, you know, it makes sense, and essentially it feels like the Hawks are doing him a favor giving him a chance to audition as he's a year away from free agency. Yeah, and I have to admit that in terms of the value of Evan Turner coming to the Hawks, I really don't know what to make of that right now. Um, I think everything you said there was correct. You know, if you look at kind of going back to Bayes before we, maybe we hit on Turner, um, it's your podcast. We can go where you want to go. Um, but after Bayes signed that contract, this his first year. He, it was a, kind of an injury plague season, and he got – a lot of grief um, because you know, statistically he didn't produce to the expectation of that $70 million contract. The second year, last season, not the one that just finished, but the one um, first year under, uh, well, but man, it's late here and it's uh, <laughs> I lost track. His second year after that contract was start to finish his best season of his career for sure, you know, but he was healthy uh, almost start to finish. Um, and this season he kind of went back into, uh, had a pretty strong start to the season. Um, kind of had some up and down 
um, play, in my opinion, when he's the kind of guy that um, is just good enough at a number of different things that when there's certain player goes down with injury, he's always asked to kind of step in to kind of fill that role. So like when TP went down, he would have to move up and guard bigger, bigger wings. You know, when they, if they lost, if Jeremy Lin went and needed to sit on back to back, or if he was banged up, he would kind of fill in a point guard. And sometimes I think that worked against him in terms of how, you know, putting him in his, in the position to be hit the best version of himself because he's so versatile. He's asked to kind of fill in different spots when other guys aren't available and that means he's oftentimes, you know, kind of sacrificing and functioning in areas where it's not his greatest area of strength. And then sometimes I think fans don't understand that, that really does have an impact on how a player's performance can be kind of interpreted, not understanding it behind the scenes. They're asking at being asked to do things because of injuries to teammates and such that they wouldn't normally be asked to do, but a very willing teammate like himself is going to find himself in those situations. So that's one of the things that I've always appreciated about him. You talk about the way he was always so good to anyone, you know, in the, I mean, I'm not there, but I, what you said just resonates with everything I've ever heard about him, no matter what the status of a person is and the organization or the media or what have you, that he's treated everybody just the same. And, you know, just reflects that, you know, the the presence he puts out there on social media, if you will, that, you know, it, it's real. You know, he's humble. He remembers where he came from. Um, he's, um, and in some ways, when you look at kind of what Vince gave the roster, I look at Vince, I, I mean, I think we all enjoyed Vince being on the roster last year for sure. But I think he was a wonderful help to Trey because of Trey already being viewed through that superstar kind of lens and optics. But when it comes to the other guys on the roster that are hungry, don't have a sure foot in the league, and you know, don't know how to overcome adversity and, and, and work and persevere through moments when they're not even sure that they're going to be on the roster in, in the next week or month or whatever, Bates is immensely more relatable to the, all those guys than Vince, right? Yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, in terms of the contracts, you know, we, I did the podcast with Jeff on draft night, and, you know, we talked about the players that were drafted, but you also just kind of took the roster and put it under the microscope and it sure seemed like, well, you know, they have about the right number of bigs. They have a lot of wings and they don't really have any point guards. Uh, you know, it's, it's to be determined if, if Jalen Adams will be coming back or not. But other than that, then it was pretty much just Trey Young. And so this kind of balances the roster a little bit. You could certainly see Evan Turner being a backup point guard to Trey, uh, almost like a change of pace. They're very different players, right? It's it's hard to think of somebody who, you know, it's hard to have like two players who sub in for each other who could be any more different than, than Trey and Evan Turner. But they do kind of both function as primary ball handlers. So, uh, you know, it, it's a way for the Hawks to fill that roster void without really having to spend anything. So they they keep their assets in terms of what they have for remaining cap space. In fact, they actually gain a little bit of cap space just because Turner's deal is about half half a million less, roughly speaking. Uh, but you don't have to go out and spend any money on a free agent point guard. You just get one in a swap that you know does does a solid for a player who did right by you for a number of years, and uh, you know helps you fix a position where you just had too many players and you didn't want that to affect your young players. So you just, it's kind of a nice balance of the roster. And I'm not sure that 
Evan Turner is any kind of long-term fix. Of course he's not. I mean, he's here for one season, and that's probably it. Uh, but it's nice to be able to fill that roster void without really having to give anything up except, you know, kind of do them right by one of your long-term players who, who really needed a, a chance to go elsewhere. Yeah, and to maybe even kind of expand upon what Evan Turner is bringing back to the Hawks, like I said, I'm not quite sure to make of it yet. But kind of thinking through it academically, the, where the Hawks are lacking depth on the roster as it's currently constructed is the one and the four. And Evan Turner is kind of a weird player that can play both of those positions. Right. Because on offense, on offense, he moves the basketball. He's a good facilitator. Um, you know, and on defense, he's a big dude, and he's not super quick. And so you're probably going to play him you know, up towards the four on defense and kind of more towards a point guard-like role on offense. And so that 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 works. That's something that Bayes, you know, didn't offer. Now, um, you know, uh, a, a team that's looking for a guy that can help them in a playoff context, I think Bazemore has a lot more value than Turner, just because he he's has the ability to knock down shots. Yep. That tends to be a really big differentiator for guys who can or can't play yep. deep into a postseason. So good for the Blazers. But you know, Turner does bring at least to start the season, depending on how the season unfolds, some the guy that can play at the two positions where they're they lack the depth at the moment. But on top of that, I think of seasons, especially with the team in the rebuild, as um, things you could do to get a feedback loop on an idea or construct. And I think the Hawks have to make a decision in terms of constructing the roster around Trey going forward as Trey reaches year three, four, five, you know, wherever you project. Do they want to have a point guard that's big and offers kind of you know, something that's really a contrasting difference than what Trey does? Or do they want a point guard that's kind of smaller and fast and, and can push the pace like Trey does. Because sometimes you want the contrast. Sometimes you want a guy who can just kind of keep it going. And I think that this is an opportunity, whether they you know, use the whole season to get this feedback loop or part of the season and, and, and eventually say, nope, it's December or January, have we have what we need to kind of get a feedback loop on how does the roster work when you have a contrasting backup point guard that's bigger and not as fast, but can, as you said earlier, can throw a change of pace versus bringing in someone who can just kind of continue doing what Trey does while he's resting. And this is, and this is, you know, Jalen Adams um, kind of finished the season. He's more in the Trey mold. You know, he's obviously, he's not, you know, a guy that was, he wasn't even drafted. So in terms of level of talent, but in terms of where his strengths lie in his game, we're a lot more like Trey than kind of being a contrasting point guard. And even Jeremy Lin, you know, a very good creator in the pick and roll, like Trey is, not a lot, not a real contrasting guy. Um, he he did he attacked a little bit differently because he's a, a, a taller guy and, and a really experienced guy. But this is a chance for them to get a you know a feedback loop on you know do we want to really bring in long term fit uh, a guy that's bigger can maybe handle some defensive possessions at the end of the game versus certain kind of looks versus other teams. So this is a wonderful opportunity to, to get a different type of point guard in and. See how it works from a roster construct perspective. I find that interesting. Yeah, and in terms of contracts, you know, he's right there with Miles Plumley, Alan Crabb. Who am I forgetting? Solomon Hill. Solomon, Solomon Hill. Hill's, that's it. Sorry, quite, Solomon Hill. Like, yeah. He's he's not. Hill and he Plumley, I think. Yeah, I think Hill and Plumley are about the same place, and then Crabb and Turner are in the same range. But they're all one year, and so. Exactly. You know, they're they're here for the short term, and then there's going to be a massive uh, amount of cap room 
that the Hawks will have going into next summer. I mean, I don't think it's any secret that that that's how things are lining up for the Hawks. I mean, it seems, I don't know, you know, what the plans will be to do with it, but it's clear that they want to have it. They've, they've made every move with, with that sort of thing in mind. So uh, the cap room is coming. All the deals that they've taken on will expire in the summer of 2020, Evan Turner included. And it's not... It's not hard maybe to see, you know, when I did the pod with Jeff last week, you know, we mentioned that a lot of times what the Hawks have done is, is, has been to to, to turn to two way players for point guard depth. Uh, You know, with Majette a couple of years ago and Jalen Adams the past year. And, and those guys, when they were here, they gradually got more playing time as the season went on. It's, it's not hard to maybe see Evan Turner, here until the trade deadline and then maybe as he's a bio candidate or a trade candidate and then somebody that you had uh you know maybe a little somebody a lot younger maybe a lot less job security like they're on a two-way and they play the point something like that kind of taking away taking over uh that is for for turner you know somewhere around the trade deadline yeah, for sure. There was a, a, a handful of point guards that were drafted that were kind of projectable into kind of a draftable range, and um, I was tracking them with interest. I won't, I won't steer us away from the where our conversation is. Oh, but, slap some uh, names on the wall. Go for it. You don't uh, even have to get well, into detail. No, I mean, who, who the, would you the biggest one was the biggest one was Shamori Pons, and if I recall sure. correctly, he's playing summer league with Toronto and. After Fred Leet went undrafted, I was hoping the Hawks would get him in on a camp contract, and of course Toronto snagged him up. So now I'm watching, you know, the, Toronto go down the path with another point guard that I think is going to be a, a solid backup point guard, if not even better, you know, four years down the line or what have you. But um, that's the one that comes to mind uh, the most. Um, but um, if I went back and checked my notes, I'm sure there's one or two other guys. But you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, the Hawks uh, summer league roster. Um, apart from the guys who will be delayed, presumably via a game or two, if not more, depending on how Polinka and Griffin uh, stand off in the trade, <laughs> um, may not be the most interesting team in, in, in Las Vegas. Um, but anyway, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't really have a whole lot more to add about the Baysmore trade. Uh, as we were sitting here talking, I did kind of remember, you know. You know, near the end of each regular season, Baysmore would be in the locker room before a game, and he'd say, hey, I, I need a cart. And, you know, one of the equipment people would get him a cart, and he'd just throw all the stuff from his locker, you know, all the shoes that he wasn't taking with him into the off season, and a bunch of other stuff, and he'd just fill the cart up, roll it out into the tunnel, Phillips Arena and State Farm Arena, and just pull stuff out of the cart and sign it and give it to the kids, and, you know... He didn't have to do that, and I don't know if somebody else did that from him, and he took that as an example, but I'd never seen anybody else do it. I haven't really seen anybody do it since. You know, he was taking time before a game, uh, you know, out of his warm-up routine to do it, but, you know, he just just one of the things he did. Uh, you know, fan favorite, deserved to be a fan favorite, and good guy. So here's to the Kent yep. Bazemore era. Yeah, poor one out. Uh, and good luck to me in Portland. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, any thoughts on, uh, I don't know, the draft, the Cam Reddish presser? 
any any lingering things from the award show? I mean, loose odds and ends here. Anything you want to tack on, or we pretty good? Well, I mean, it might we might be remiss to not talk about the rookie of the year ballot being presumably maybe a little a little one sided. Probably from a Hawks fan's perspective, you know, who who was in that race? Uh, Luca. Oh, okay, some um, guy named Luca. Brings, some guy named Luca. There's more Lucas coming to the league. You know, there's another Luca there that was drafted this year. So eventually we're going to have to specify, I think. Um, maybe not Hawks and Mavericks fans. Um, by, by the way, I'll put a pin in that. I don't think the Hawks and Mavericks might not be done doing business, which might be interesting to Hawks and Mavericks fans. But, um, you know, 98-2 was more lopsided than I expected. I'm not surprised at all by the outcome. I think the voters got it right, as unpopular as that might be in the circles of your listenership. So, I'll take all of the accountability for that statement on your podcast if that's not well-received. <laughs> um, but, you know, the reason I thought it would not be quite that lopsided was because Trey finished the year so strong, and typically recency bias does kind of show up in, in voters and those sorts of things. And then, you know, Luca, a lot of his firepower came early in the season. Um, but for I would sure. encourage people to – yeah, but I would encourage people to remember that Luca's European season last year went really, really late into the summer. Sure. And so it's not a surprise at all that he, if, if what happened with him, you know, performance wise, he ran the gas. It's completely understandable. And then the Hawks fans, you know, are obviously are going to kind of reminisce on the really fun moments and the big moments and the game winners and the big games that Trey had. And maybe not remember so much like how much his shooting was a question mark in, in November and December, you know. Um, and that all is fairly assessed into how voters decided to cast their ballot. Um, so I'm surprised it wasn't somewhere more in the range of kind of the Giannis and, and, and Harden, you know, somehow that came out to 78 to 23, but based on what I've seen so far, which doesn't seem mathematically correct. Uh, you're the math teacher. I'll let you correct me if I'm wrong on that no. somehow. But I thought, I thought the, the rookie of the year would be more in that range, kind of like the MVP was than, you know, it being so one-sided, but I'm not so surprised at the result. So did you see it differently? I mean, it's hard for a voter to acknowledge that it was a very close race because you get one person to vote for. Uh, I mean, you, you put first, second, third, but when you say that the first place votes were 98 to 2, uh, you know, there's there's no room for a voter to acknowledge whether it was a close contest between their first and second choice picks. So, I mean, that that's fine. Uh, I think there were some hardened opinions midway through the season. Uh, but Luca deserved Luca deserved to win. Uh, you know, Trey was better the last two months of the season. Uh, so you know, Luca was better for the first three months of the season, and probably by a little bit more of a margin. So it's, yeah, and what's, it is what it so is. I don't think anything's been determined as far as who's going to have the better long term career. I think there are some people who are hardened in their opinions of that too, and I I would I wouldn't want to go one way or the other on that at this point. I think that that is also too early to tell. Yeah, and I'll, I'll be uh, you know, full transparency here. On my board last year, I had Luca first and Trey sixth. So I was I was admittedly too low on Trey or too concerned about the downside of his game maybe. But he's only played one season, so you know we'll see. But I'm happy as a Hawks supporter that Trey's doing so well. But what's so weird is all the animosity between Hawks fans and Mavericks fans when truly both fan bases should be pretty content with the outcome. It's, it's so weird to me how how uh, heated it gets when it's like things worked out fine for Dallas and things worked out fine for Atlanta. And, you know, 
you know, we, uh, the Hawks fans presumably got introduced to Cam Reddish today as, as a result of that trade. And, and so I, I can't wait to see it all end, but I, I don't have any true hope that that's going to end anytime soon, if, if ever. Yeah. And that's probably a good place to, to segue a little bit here to the Cam Reddish presser. He, you know, he was talking today after the press conference about, you know, how good he feels. He said he's like two and a half weeks into the surgery. I think it was reported as a core injury. He described it today as being something, you know, related to his groin. Uh, but, he, you know, he, he's obviously probably not going to play summer league. But, you know, it sounded pretty genuine. He's like, I I feel so much better now. Uh, so, I mean, I think he was definitely dealing with something lingering through that last season at Duke. Um, and, man, you know, if he gets healthy... And we're sitting here and, you know, it's Trey versus Luca. You know, if there's if there's a Dallas Hawks game, you know, late into the season next year where Reddish is the person guarding Luca, that would be interesting. Yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I mean, Reddish is, I think, just a great upside get at the at the 10th spot. You know, um, I wrote the Beastie Hoops draft profile on him and I covered the injury and how to me, when I went back and looked at his footage after I heard of the injury, I saw him not extending at the rim and not open, not exposing his body at the rim to contact. And so when he's back, presumably maybe the first chance, well, I'll get to see him on TV if I'm not back in Atlanta, you know, with another opportunity, um, is, you know, when he gets to the rim, you know, the first, you know, handful of times is, does he look a different guy? Is he, um, you know, embracing the contact and opening up his body more than he was last year at Duke? And that's, to me, going to say a whole lot uh, you know, I mean, I guess I always want to caution not to over uh, evaluate the first, you know, reps that you, uh, you see of a guy. <laughs> right. But I'm just, it just, right. but just in terms of interest, my interest sure. Oh, for sure. is does he look like a totally different player than he was at Duke in terms of how aggressive and um, physical, how physical he is attacking the rim. Uh, that'll be a, a thing that I find very interesting. The first chances I get to kind of put eyeballs on him. Yep. All right. Anything else you want to tack on before we wrap up? Yeah, so the Hawks remaining cap space, depending upon how what they do with the players that are free agents right now, et cetera, et cetera, uh, they have just enough cap space that should Dallas be really, really aggressive in free agency, um, as reportedly they're chasing Horford and others, um, the Hawks have just enough cap space that if the Mavericks want to move Charles Lee, the Hawks could help them with that. So, <laughs> uh, Hawks wait, 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 who? You said no, Charles Lee. Charles He's a Milwaukee Lee? No, coach. No, no. Court, Court, yes, I know. Courtney Lee. Sorry. Oh, Courtney Lee. Okay. I, I was pulling on my uh, uh, watching Hawks Summer League a few years ago, and Charles Lee popped out of my head because we're so close to Summer League. But yeah, Courtney <laughs> Lee has is an expiring right. contract in the twelve and a half range, and so the Hawks. And just interestingly, me the, the Hawks might have just enough cap space to help move uh, Lee off of the Mavericks books. And uh, yeah, I would think that Slank and uh, Don Donnie Nelson Jr. Uh, probably have a report and some trust, um, a little bit more so than Mavericks fans and Hawks fans. So don't be shocked if uh, Hawks and Mavericks do a little more business this summer um, on they, top of what they've already done. Do they have what it takes to sweeten that kind of deal? I mean, what do they have left? Haven't they emptied the cupboard to get Chris Stapps? Uh, if I'm recalling correctly, uh, they sent. 21 and 23 to New York, they can't trade 20 until the new league year starts. And so after July 1st, 
if the Mavericks are looking to move Lee to get him off the books, they would then be eligible to trade the 2020 draft pick now that the 19 has conveyed, obviously, um, because the, it, once you get into that league year, you're not exposed to the stepping role for that next year's draft pick. But would 2021 be a problem, though? If yeah, they couldn't race... trade 21. They couldn't trade 21, 22, or 23. So the Hawks would have to be careful with protections. They'd probably only get one year of having protected and conveying to two second round picks. So that's the where it gets okay. a little bit tricky. Is that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So don't be surprised if that happens. So I'm not predicting, but um, but it's it's a weird mathematical thing that's lining up between uh, the two organizations that have different objectives. So we'll see. I I don't know if it'll, yeah I I think. The Hawks just have to be wary of, of more of the, the number of teams that are going to be interested in Horford. <laughs> I just think that there's going to be a, a certain amount of buzz, you know, Dallas included, of teams trying to get Horford. And, you know, if there are five teams trying to get Horford, six teams trying to get Horford, only one's going to get out Horford for next season. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what who those teams that don't get Horford are and what they start looking for in terms of, you know, second best candidate to fill the position. And I think a lot of those teams will be interested in Deadman and that that's, that's going to make things interesting. It is. It is. Because um, I, I think it, it if, like... it, sorry, just because I think, you know, if, if you're alert, looking for a certain skill set, that that skill set that Horford has, you look at the available free agent centers you know, I don't. Maybe you count Brooke Lopez in there, and I think the Bucks are obviously going to make a huge push to to save him. But then once you get past those two, then I think sort of Deadman might be the next man up after that. Yeah, especially if you're looking for a competent defender who can knock down shots. Deadman's obviously not the creator that Horford is, but that's why you pay a premium for a guy like Horford. But then you look at a guy like Deadman. All the team should look at a guy like Deadman as a guy that can play in the postseason, even if that's just you know. Uh, backup minutes on the 15 minute range or what have you. And I always think about bigs, you know, a guy you can trust to play more than that. If your starter gets in foul trouble in a ported cage, you know, sure. those sorts of things. So I, I, I agree, but um, I, I, it seems like if Travis Slink gets a phone call and says, and here is, we will send you a first round draft pick to take this contract that he's usually amenable. <laughs> that almost that seems now. like so, too much. It, it seems like it's a fine line to dance. Like a first round pick is too much. Then you put protections on it, but the protections, like you said, they got to dance around the Stepien rule, and so you get worried about it turning into seconds. I just, I don't know that there's some uh, balance point where that can all happen and still make sense for both teams. Yep, that's probably where the argument would come in: is do you make it fully lottery protected? If Dallas misses the playoffs, you're just looking at second rounders. Do you go top twelve, and then you're the wild lottery odds kind of factor in hugely to whether the first round of days or not, but it's it, to me. It just looks if something like that comes available, it continues to be kind of a low risk thing for the Hawks. Not, not really anything to hurt them to take on Courtney Lee's contract into their cap space just to get a whatever asset uh, they have. Um, they would be more than they got for base in terms of beyond this season's value. But we'll we'll see. But the numbers are just the Hawks projected cap space and that Courtney Lee contract are so close to each other. It just seems like <laughs> the, a, a magneticism happening <laughs> there you go. around those numbers, if you will. So that's, that that's the way I see it anyway. All right. Well, thank you for, uh, for joining here at these, these impromptu trades that come out of the blue. There, there was no smoke before the fire with Torian Prince and there was no smoke before the fire. I mean, other than just sort of 
logic. I mean, kind of Torian Prince, this kind of seems like it had to be the summer where he's traded because of the looming extension. But, you know, even more so with the base trade, just nothing to really tell you that this was coming. And I appreciate you uh, joining me on short, short notice on a panicked and busy day. I'm always fun talking basketball with you. Anything you want to plug before we bump out? Uh, just real quickly, if they listen to the one we did after the Torian Prince trade, Full Court Press NBA podcast, uh, look us up, check us out. Um, kind of a coaching, X's and O's, um, you know, kind of kind of thing. So if you're into that, check us out. And also, you know, just want to echo some other sentiments that I'm really proud for what Peastry has put out for draft profiles. Was glad to be a small part of that. Um, and so I uh, just want to congratulate Brad and Jeff's leadership on that and then also uh, be mindful to congratulate all the writers who contributed to that. Really, really rewarding and um, really, really proud of that. So I'll throw that out there. Some have, for some reason, you missed a draft profile on a guy the Hawks drafted. Go look it up. You might learn something about those guys. Excellent. And don't hang up yet. Not You you included, Glenn, but our listeners as well. I, I just want to close. I got a few minutes to talk to Lloyd Pierce today uh, about some things. You know, hadn't got to talk to Lloyd in a while, so caught him for a few minutes after the Cam Reddish presser and got to ask some, you know, some questions about the direction of where the team's heading and questions that, you know, seem to be rising on the horizon and, you know, just some general stuff around the team. And so here, here's some of the stuff that uh, Coach Pierce had to say after the Cam Reddish presser. Hey, Bray, are you, uh, are you nervous that your I'm second year, nervous. you're never nervous? Never okay. Nervous, but what no. do you think about the fact that in your second year, you're probably going to have a team that's younger than the team you had your first year? Um, I'm not. And, and it, I mean, no, there's no concern there. I think the, the, the biggest concern we always worry about is how quickly will the guys grow? How quickly will the guys adjust? Um, the exciting part is the quicker they adjust, the quicker we see what we have in, in the future. So I think it's important to what we did with Trey. I think the home run was Trey. You know, we were able to play him pretty much start to finish as a starter, and he developed quickly and then he took off late and and so he's got NBA game experience under and that's the, the biggest challenge when you have young players that you want to grow is getting them that game experience but doing it appropriately. For players like Kevin and Cam you, know, you talk about their ability to do stuff with the ball in their hands do you have to sort of stagger things so that occasionally they play without Trey? Yeah um, but part of Trey's growth is is playing off the basketball as well and that's that's only going to help us. Um, you know, if we've got three or four guys that can play with the basketball, then they all need to be pretty good off the basketball as well. Um, do you want to limit Trey having the basketball? Not at all. But I think you can find ways to exploit different teams and different matchups when you have multiple playmakers and facilitators. Um, these guys have all played together. Kevin and Cam played on Team USA together. They've got some chemistry. Trey and Cam are good friends. Obviously, Kevin and Trey have played together last year. And so I think it's exciting because it's, it's a healthy atmosphere to have. Um, they, they appreciate each other's talent and skill set, and I think that'll make my job a little bit easier because they do have a common and mutual respect. At the end of the season, you talked about implementing the defense in year two. Now that you have a better idea of what your roster is going to look like, how do you do that? It's still step one. Um, I haven't spent one day working with Cam Reddish, and so step one is we have to teach him a whole new language. We've got to teach him NBA positioning. We've got to push them to be a little bit better. Um, 
but then as we get more guys in here, we still have to teach those guys. So it's still, you know, some of the guys will have some of the corporate knowledge, and the new guys will have to acquire some of that. Um, you just like the tools that, you know, you have in a 6'9 perimeter player like Cam because he's versatile and he can switch on to multiple uh, opponents and defend point guards as well as some of the, the uh, perimeter forwards in our league. At the end of the day, your defense is going to be de- uh, determined by the type of players, and he's got a defensive mindset, and I think we took a step forward just with that alone. I know they asked Travis, you know, what was the first time that you crossed paths with him, and I know you've done some of the youth circuits and Nike camps and stuff. What was the first time you crossed paths with Cam, and what did you see? You know, I may have run into him at the Nike Elite camps. Uh, myself and Melvin Hunt and Chris Gent, we've all worked them. I haven't worked those camps. I didn't work it last summer or the summer prior, and so maybe when he was 15, I... <laughs> I'm watching 30 high school kids that I don't know their names, so he, he may have been in that circuit and I didn't know his name. The first time I saw him probably was one of the Duke games earlier this year. And you know I think Travis does an unbelievable job of just targeting a couple guys early, which allows me, you know, if you're on a Saturday afternoon and one of the games are on, let me turn and just get a glimpse of a couple guys he's mentioned. Um, and he was he was one that we talked about from day one. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, to get them at 10, <laughs> we were kind of, you know, bumping each other in, in the room that, you know, he's going to fall to 10 and, and we're going to hit a home run. And that was great 